0: This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend.
3: Welcome to this week's Love Rugby League podcast. The big interview on the way. Plenty to discuss uh, prior to that, though, with Love Rugby League's editor, James Gordon, and assistant editor, Drew Derbyshire. uh, With Leeds uh, suffering defeat and uh, every single player trying to get themselves sent off over the last 10 minutes. Cornwall finally winning a game, an historic victory uh, for Cornwall. Wakefield absolutely walloped. What on earth happened? in that game. And Featherstone, are they imploding at the top of the Championship? Let's discuss that over the next few minutes. Uh, where should we start? Well, where were you uh, this weekend first of all? I was in my usual venues um, watching Cornwall and, and watching Featherstone Rover. so maybe we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute.
4: Where were you Drew? Uh, I, on Thursday night I was at Saints uh, Leeds and t- to witness the Rhinos imploding in the second half and, and there was a uh, two yellow cards. Bordin Thompson was simbined first of all, and then James Bentley was had, had another brain fart uh, and was simbing, uh late on in the game. I think it was with with one one or two minutes to go. But... Very very out of
3: character for for, for Well,
4: he, he patted the ball away from Alex Walmsley when when Saints were, were near the lead line, and it was he, it was just <sighs> he was evens
1: with the bookies to get a, a card. I did look at that prior to the game.
4: Yeah, I think it was just frustration I, more more than anything. the The game was gone. Zane Setavano was being referred to tribunal at the time of recording um, for his high shot on on Comrade Hurl. Uh, sports the the Leeds coach Roland Smith after the game. He was very coy on on all the card incidents. Um, he didn't really say too much about any of them. Um, but it, it was just a professional performance from Saints, wasn't it? They, they were just they do what Saints do they just the the patient in, in the way they approach the game Leeds through a lot at them in the first half but Saints de- dealt with it pretty well and then Christian Wolfside came out firing in the second half and and ultimately blew Leeds out of the park uh, on Friday I was at Wigan Toulouse it was a pretty routine win for, for Wigan against a, a poor Toulouse outfit it, it must be said uh, I, I didn't think much of, of Toulouse at all I thought that it was one of the poorest performances of the season but you don't expect to lose to, to win away at, at a side like Wigan do you it's it's against the well I think it, we, we had a look before didn't we James and the next four games are against Salford, Wakefield Hulkar and Leeds and, and you think they've got to win probably three of those four games but yeah. we would, do they we... have hope of, of surviving in Super League?
1: Well we think that, or I think they've got to win, I almost feel like they've got to win four or five of the next five, because the way the fixtures have worked out, they've got four of the next five are at home, the away game in that five is Wakefield away, and then after that, they've got six games left and only one of them's at home, and that's against Catalan. So, realistically, I think, even if you shorten that run in July down to the next two weeks, they've got all are at home this week, Wakefield away next week, they've got to win both them games. If they don't win both them games,
4: I think it's curtains for Toulouse. Yeah, and judging by Salford's seventy-four points to ten victory over Wakefield, I don't think uh, it's the the right time to be playing Salford as well. I had the privilege. <laughs> I had the privilege of uh, commentating on Warrington
1: versus Hull. On, oh blimey! Uh,
4: Did you take some books with you? Uh,
3: <laughs> some quiet reading.
1: Yeah, it was tough. It was one of those where. You know, obviously, we all love rugby league and, you know, you don't like talking it down necessarily. But there wasn't really much you could say about that first half. Obviously, the longer it went on, you were a bit like, you can't believe how bad this has actually been. And, you know, and obviously, you don't like saying throwaway things like this is one of the worst halves of rugby I've ever seen. Mm. But the more like it was going on. I mean, I've seen some pretty pretty bad halves of rugby, but there was just like nothing happening at all. You know, they were completing the sets a little bit and then kicking to the end. But there was just nothing in the way of inspiration. You know, nothing lifting either of the teams. and
3: But maybe that's what Warrington needs. It's <laughs> well... like a result from anywhere, even if it comes off the back of an absolutely awful game. Arguably, that's better.
1: Well, I think that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, all that matters is you get the two points. You know, it was interesting having a conversation with John Wells about the entertainment of the game. And obviously, we're in the entertainment business and all that. Mm. And, you know, he appreciates its results business as well. You know, but when it comes down to it, it's just a results bit, for the coach anyway, it's a results business. He's not necessarily bothered about entertaining, he's bothered about getting the, the two points. And I think, you know, from where Warrington were, they lost five in a row, they needed to get that up. You know, I think if you look at the way that shifts the league table as well, all of a sudden you're thinking, well, Warrington probably look in decent shape to be able to get in the top six again now whereas you know like last week you were thinking
3: that's our Salford by the way
1: so (laughs) I think you know and it was dead interesting actually listening after the game because we've all sat through this 80 minutes of like dross basically Mm. but both Daryl Powell and Brett Hodgson were quite positive about their team's effort you know I think Brett Hodgson said it was unbelievable effort from his you know because ultimately they only conceded as much as both teams weren't great, they both kept it down and it was a you know, it was a tough game to be playing in. Obviously they lost they had injuries and stuff like that. But um obviously the main thing at Warrington was of course the Toby King thing. So, you know, we sort of got a bit of a, a whisper on the game on Friday that obviously we knew he'd been dropped from the game but he was going to be shipped out to, to Huddersfield and obviously they've done this deal with with Wardle going in the other way and you know, it's a very bold mm. the last few weeks at Warrington's been very bold, hasn't it, from from Darrell Powell and obviously they've They've obviously realised that they need to change the way they do things. And
3: Charnley going for good as well, and, and, yes. you know, at the same time.
1: Yeah, and you look at the, you know, I mean, it, we probably haven't got long enough to run for all the players yeah. that have come and gone in the last few weeks. But it's a massive sort of, not a leap of faith, but clear that the Warrington Board are backing Powell to do it his way. Um, and obviously, I mean, there'll probably be a lot of pressure on him at the start of next season, won't there, when they get the season. Well, it's it's almost running.
3: like Powell has said, look, I can fix this, but you've got to let me fix mm. it. You've got to stay out of this and let me fix it. We should also say at the time of recording this week's Love Rugby League podcast, we're we're at Leeds Beckett University. We're actually in an empty, very (laughs) high-tech lecture theatre. Things have changed since (laughs) since I was doing my medieval French literature degree at Liverpool Uni about 20-odd years ago. Um, But we're here for a Super League media event, which George Williams was scheduled to attend and was withdrawn at the last minute um, for a scan we're told, on, on what? We don't know.
1: Yeah, they're not paying him off the salary cap, is what you mean. No, I don't, any, <laughs> I don't think there's
3: anything untoward about that, but apparently he's going he's, he's to have a, a scan. Uh, going back to that Warrington game, though, uh, there, there was something the great Willie Thorne, the old snooker commentator, used to say to me back in my, my former life as a snooker commentator when we'd sit through hours of absolute garbage at the Crucible Theatre and... Both kind of look at each other as we came out of the uh, out of the um, the commentary box in in that tiny little crucible theater and he just whispered to me George. <laughs> that may not be the worst game I've ever seen, but it would be in the top one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's what, I, that's what I thought of when I was watching that Warrington game. Yeah, it was,
1: it, it's tough, isn't it? Because, you, you know, you're looking at... You know, you, you, they're making some serious moves, Warrington. You know, dropping Toby King, who yeah. they only handed a, a big new deal to at the end of last year. You know, even playing... Even the way that they manufactured the team, and obviously Matauti was playing at standoff, off and, and Ratchford was in the centres. And, you know, obviously, like I say, the Charlie situation. There's so many there 's so many little things going on, a little stories isn 't there happening within that Warrington team, so, like you say, going back to the at the end of the day they won the match, they got the two points, they move on to the next week
4: yeah i 'm quite excited to see how they line up next year obviously they 're making a lot of changes in the in the forward pack. Thomas Mcley has already come come over from from West Tigers in the NrL and and Gildelson and Sam Cassiano were coming over from Catalan Dragons at the end of the season. There's whispers of, of Josh Maguire also coming over in Australia, some more international. So they're going to have a big pack next season. Uh, they're having a, a, a big overhaul uh, by the looks of it as well. And I think Jake, Jake Wardle's a, a shrewd signing for, for Warrington. He's not played much uh, this season for the Giants, but then was he, was he close to being named in a Super League Dream Team either last season mm. or the season before or something? Mm. So. There's a lot of potential in him. He obviously made his England debut last, last weekend uh, against the, the Combined Nations All-Stars. So I think Warrington are making the right moves, they're making the right deals, um, and they're, they're putting full back in behind Darrell Powell, aren't they? Does it, you know, it is a
1: weird situation when you're there at Warrington because I think, I think there's, there's, a, there's an element where you understand that Powell's got to sort of rebuild it, but I don't think anyone expected them to be as bad. This season, you know, getting that he's got to rebuild the team and get people in and out of the squad. And, you know, when the salary cap sport, that's a lot harder. But they have been a lot worse than you would expect even in a transition-type year. But having said that, they're still in touch and distance to the playoffs, like we already said. They can string a few results together towards the end of the season, scraping the playoffs. They've rebuilt the team. Well, it probably wouldn't look like the worst season, you know, in the world. You know, I always have had a lot of conversation on radio about it this year. Compare it to what what Ian Watson did at Huddersfield, where Huddersfield really weren't even on the radar last season at all because they basically just took a year out while Watson rebuilt the team, and then look at them now. And that's I suppose what Warrington are, are looking to to replicate. Um, touching on Huddersfield, obviously they're keeping up, you know, with the with the, the top mm-hmm. paces at the top, and obviously Ricky Lattelli got injured, and you know, actually the, everyone was asking where's Toby King going to fit in this team, and then. All of a sudden, it looks like the shrewdest move you've ever seen because yeah. <laughs> Letelli got a knock and you think, well, King could just slot
4: straight into that role. He's a Huddersfield boy as well, isn't he? To- Toby King, so he's obviously joining his-, his hometown club. I don't know if he, if he supported them as a-, as a kid, but I think the move could probably benefit Toby King. I, th- I think he's lost a, a lot of confidence. Uh, I think it was only maybe two seasons ago. I was saying he was one of the best centres in Super League. He was-, he was named in the Super League Dream Team. Uh, it, it was phenomenal under, under the high ball. They used, to, they used to have a little bit of banter with him at Warrington because it was so good under the, mm. the high ball. Went, whenever uh, the half-backs were kicking it, they always kicked it to Toby King because he collected so, so many of them and, and scored from them. But I think he's just lost confidence in that. But I think this move away from Warrington for a little while, uh, or whether it's, it's made permanent in, in the long run, uh, will certainly benefit him.
3: Spe- speaking of transfers, here's a bit of gossip for you. Bevan French. To, to Lee, are you having that? He's
1: dropping that bomb. A real bomb to drop.
3: At the risk of getting Derek Beaumont on, on our backs at Love Rugby League again, uh, I'm hearing whispers that, that Lee might be quite, quite keen on getting Bevan French from Wigan.
1: Hey, listen, I, I think a lot, a lot of people say, you know, and whatever I think about whether that's going to happen or not is irrelevant, but I think, I think as much as Lee get, or Derek Beaumont particularly gets a lot of criticism, If there was more people like him in rugby league then all of a sudden there'd be more money for players there'd be more people there'd be more players wanting to play there'd be more players you know what i mean so it's like as much you know there's a little bit of maybe in in some ways a bit of unfounded criticism of him because of a few years ago when obviously they missed out on the playoffs and they cut a load of players towards the end of the season and stuff and and you know he learned a lot from that time but ultimately you know their crowds up i think they're getting four thousand or something at home you know they're a good team to watch and it's like well if you look, if you had ten Derek Beaumonts, which is quite a scary thought, but if you had ten Derek Beaumonts and ten clubs of Lee's stature getting bigger and offering more money to players and, and increasing the pool, then you know why not? And you know, I suppose they're quite. But you know, whether Lee are ever going to make it to be a top six Super League team, you know, I, I personally can't see it happening. But ultimately, if Derek Beaumont wants to throw his money at players and try and get them there, well, you know, fair, you know, fair play to him. I think he's learning as well that. It's not just about, and we've seen it, You know, we've, even with Salford in the Kukash days, it's not about throwing the money out either. Mm. You can spend as much money as you want. You've still got to build a team of, and I think this is probably the first time I felt like at Lee where they've almost built like what looks like a, a solid team to the point where if they go up, you could sort of see them, you could see a lot of this team that they've got staying and actually giving them a platform to do something in Super League. Whereas in previous years, they've almost had a team for the championship, got promoted, had to re- Rebuild a whole new team, then got relegated again and rebuilt again. So, you know, whether I mean, I don't know what the bookies' odds would be on that move, uh, George,
4: but
3: yeah, I don't well, know. Well, well, I don't know how, long, how far along, if, it, if indeed there's anything in it at all, but I, I do know there has been some talk of it.
4: Certainly, in the, in the modern era, I think this is the, the best team that we have ever had. Um, obviously, I can, I, I'm only 25, so I can only <laughs> only talk for, for yeah. my what, existence. What's your modern era then? <laughs> yeah. Neil is
3: the
1: best player
4: <laughs> but, you've ever seen. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's the, the strongest I've seen. It. I've seen Lee They're certainly uh, focused on, on reaching Super League and, and possibly staying in it. We, mm. we, we've seen in the, t- well, I think it's twice in the last five or six years now that Lee have gained promotions to Super League and have gone straight back I- down. But it's worth
1: noting though that on them two occasions the first time they didn't finish bottom they got relegated after the Super 8 so they, they actually finished second bottom yep. in Super League after the 23 games and then obviously last season was when they would got parachuted in quite late.
4: But I, th- I think if they went in now I think yeah, they'd and, genuinely and stay up. I, th-
1: I think you could see now if if I mean obviously there's still a long way to go in the Championship season but if Lee went up you could see them putting a fist you know you could see them giving it a good shot at staying up
4: next season. Mm. No definitely I, c- I completely agree I think Judging from the, the last couple of performances I've seen from from the likes of Toulouse and Wakefield, I think Lee would probably beat them right now. Obviously, Lee have got all the confidence in the world, and, and Toulouse and Wakefield are probably lacking a little bit, but I, I certainly think uh, I, I, I don't even think Lee will be, will be struggling near the bottom. I, think, I mean, I think it's an interesting point goal, that I,
3: I, I spent a lot of time covering Toulouse last year, and I was really confident that they would come up and actually. Kind of mid-table Super League, and then obviously it doesn't work out like that. You lose your two best players, and of course the squad you can you can put together outside of Super League. The rules are slightly different when you get in there. You can't; they're not all immediately available. Um, but just pre- coming back around to where we started, as league go from strength to strength and look absolutely brilliant. Uh, the games I was at the weekend in, included Featherstone, who who having looked untouchable, and they were just hammering. They were whipping everyone all season, including Lee um, early rounds of. of of the championship, they've they've now lost three times since the end of May, including Lee twice in the in the cup final at Tottenham and Lee heavily at their place and then at the weekend, batley at home, first defeat for Featherstone at home this year at post office road. And I was there and they were awful. They they were they were absolutely awful. Not only that, normally when you see an awful half and Featherstone, by the way were playing downhill first half and they were behind. You think, well, Brian will, you know, throw a few things around at half time and get them playing around. They were worse second half. Well, I actually interviewed Brian, which obviously is a, a really nice task after a home defeat like that. And I said, well, what did you say at half-time and what did you think you saw second half? Because they got, even, they got even worse. And he was just at a loss to explain. It was just, it was just awful everywhere. Jonathan Ford he had on the bench and never brought him on. We talk of Lee's recruitment. Featherstone have recruited just as big, but it's almost like Rovers have signed in positions they didn't need to sign. They had one of the best full-backs outside of Super League in Brandon Pickersgill and signed Mark Carella. And Pickersgill has since been sat next to me in the stands. They've got established half-backs. they brought in Jonathan Ford, who they haven't used. And suddenly in the pack, they've got nobody because that's where they haven't reinforced. Yes, they brought in Tyler who who is now injured, and young Sam Essay, who's got a lot of learning to do by the looks of what I've seen from him. So I, I honestly don't know where Featherstone go from here. There's a school of thought that... Brian McDermott is doing what he did at Leeds, creating a bit of chaos, getting the backs to the wall, the siege mentality. They'll slip off the pace, everyone will write them off, and suddenly when it comes to it at the end of the season, that's when they'll strike. I just don't know you can do that against this side. There's a, there's,
1: a there's a bit of keeping up with the Joneses about it. Like Throughout the season, it's been a bit tit for tight. As soon as Feverson signed someone, Lee signed someone mm. and vice versa. But I think the issue was and We sort of we were talking about this earlier. that The difference was, was Featherstone already had an established squad there, whereas mm. Lee were behind the eight ball. They got relegated. They would lost quite a lot of players, so they had to recruit more to get their squad up to a level. Whereas as you say, you know, don't forget as well, was Craig Hall playing fullback every week last year, and he was in team of the year, player of the year. Well, right? Craig Hall
3: actually was back this weekend and after being dropped. He played left centre. He was all right actually. But, he was. But, he was back but in the, the
1: point being that. They obviously had a you know a team of the year fullback last year. They signed another fullback right. to replace him, and then, and then signed, signed another, another fullback to yeah. replace him. And it's like, well, like you're saying, I think you know we we've seen it. with Wigan Wigan ended up with three fullbacks, didn't they, at one point? It's like in a salary cap sport, and I know the salary caps largely redundant in the championship anyway because it's so large, but. If you're focusing too much on one area, it's leaving you short somewhere else. The big thing about that defeat for Featherstone means that the game against Lee now is...
3: It doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't matter, whereas there would have been a bit of attention on that game because that would have been the game that could have got your home advantage in the grand final. I mean, I don't particularly agree that the grand final should be at the home team of the the thing anyway. Um, And And that was
3: Featherstone's gripe last year, that they had to go... To mm. the south of France and try and beat Toulouse to get, to get I, up.
4: Just only, I think they've got the recruitment spots on the one. not I think to they've recruited in every area that they needed to recruit. I think if we look back to the the round two game between Featherstone and Lee, Lee's team is is pretty much completely different to mm. to what it was in in round two. Uh, obviously, they've, they've brought in Blake Ferguson, who was kind of taking the place of Tom Nisbet on on the wing, and, and they've recruited in the in the positions where they were they were lacking in the needed plays in in those positions. We we've, we uh, we saw them recruit Christian Inu, who who provides great utility at centre and and on the wing. He's a, a fantastic goal kicker as well. I think they've just recruited smartly. Uh, Kai O'Donnell brought over from the from the NRL. A forward who can play prop, back row, all those forwards. You can put him anywhere. He's been brilliant. And I think the signing of the season, in, arguably in Super League and in Championship, is Edwin A Pape. Oh, brilliant. He's never played an NRL, NRL game in his life. The the highest he's played is, well, uh, barring uh, the international stage, the, the highest cl- he's played in clubland is for the PNG c- Hunters mm. in yeah, Queensland yeah. Cup. He's come over here. He's been absolutely outstanding. He's, he's killed it every single week. Is uh, a fan's favourite at the club now. Edwin he has been a wonderful signing. Uh,
3: final word, Chris, before we get into the big interview on the other game I was at, which was Cornwall and an historic first-ever victory for Cornwall. If it was going to come, it was going to come, I think, against West Wales Raiders, who were, were absolutely abysmal. But there's going to be knockers still of... of of the attempts to expand into Cornwall, but this at least gives them a, a little bit of uh, a reprieve. Oh,
1: well, obviously it lifted them off the bottom of the table. Of course, they played a few weeks ago and lost 20-0, didn't they, to West Wales, which was probably a bit of a shock, because as you say, that was probably the game in the calendar you were looking and thinking, oh, West Wales at home, that's the one you fancy Cornwall at. They've obviously dusted themselves off and pull, pulled off that win. You know, listen, for me, I always look at it in League One. I'd have as many teams playing. If seems teams want to play and yeah, yeah. the finance is there for them to play, just let, let, let's have as many teams in there as possible and get them playing.
3: Shove them in there. Right, thank you, gents. Let's get on to this week's Love Rugby League Big Interview.
0: Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com.
3: Well, welcome to this week's Big Interview, a weekly look at life and league with one of the sport's biggest names and this week's guest, is a coach who has become the first coach to get his side a win at Featherstone Rovers in the league at Post Office Road this season. A highly rated coach, Craig Lingard, joins us on the Love Rugby League podcast. Craig, great to see you. How was your weekend? And Many congratulations, first of all.
2: Yeah, thank you, Matt. Yeah, very, very good weekend for us. Uh, you know, we know it's going to be a, a tough game over there, as always, is at Featherstone. But uh, really, really sort of pleased and proud about how, how our guys performed and how they prepared as well. Uh, we knew it was going to be a game that could potentially go either way. Fellas fell that sort of side that they can score 20, 30 points in the blink of an eye. So we knew that we needed to be switched on from, from minute one. And uh, so the, the way that the guys prepared all week, and then particularly on the game day as well, I thought they were outstanding on the game day. And we gave them a, a game plan to take into the game, and they, they executed it pretty much perfectly.
3: Uh, what I loved about that. As a neutral and a rugby league fan, well, well, first of all, were your fans who were brilliant. And that's all I could hear at Post Office yeah. Road all, all <laughs> afternoon. But also the the kind of people who looked at the first result when you met uh, at your place and there was a draw and you took a point off them and thought, well, that won't happen again at, at their place. And if anything, you were even better, I thought, in uh, in the weekend's game at Featherston.
2: Yeah, I think the, the fans that we've got, you know, the, we're not the 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 best supported team in the land and uh the, the traveling support that we get they go- to away games the're very very vocal i think they enjoy the days out they enjoy their away games you know we, they get on the minibuses and go over there so they can uh, they can and enjoy the hospitality let's say and the certain certainly at the cell zone when they're at the ground um but yeah i think you you're right the 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 league game that we' played against Featherstone at, at, at batley when we drew 2020 we we knew that we needed to learn the lessons from the week previous, and we played them in the cup. And they did a real good number on us the week before, um, you know. So there was a lot of um, sort of consultation between the coaching staff about what we got wrong the, the previous week, what we needed to do the following week to put it right. And we concentrated on some really key specific areas where we thought Featherstone were really good and where we needed to improve on. And we fixed that up the following week and um, we stopped Featherstone getting on that front foot more often than not, Um, which I think in the first game, the, 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 the second phase that Featherstone played absolutely ruined as it killed us. And I thought they could have scored every time they got the ball. So we knew that we needed to stop the offloads we know that we need to stop the early carries from the outside backs so that always get them on the front foot and start rolling you back, uh, particularly if they're playing down earlier at Batley and, and particularly at Featherston as well, if they're playing down that, that bit of a null there. So we know again coming into the game at post office road on Sunday that you know we need we need to make a real big impact on the first three carries and, and stop the second phase just to take a bit of there, um bit of Featherston's uh, game plan out of the out of the equation really, and then just to, just do what we do with the ball. And you know, we've we've got a certain certain way that we like to play, and we like to ask our players to to promote the ball and play as much as we possibly can do because we know that we're not the biggest team that can that can dominate certain packs like a lead or a feather. So we know we, we need to try and score tries and create opportunities in different ways.
3: Uh, taking a step back from the match and the result itself, as as someone in the thick of this what's your reading of the of the landscape now in the championship it's been featherstone versus lee all season it it was featherstone it seemed head and shoulders above and the last month of has probably shown us it's it's actually lee who's in the driving seat is it those two or are you thinking hang on a minute, it might not be those two
2: i i think i think it would be a bit daft to think it's not featherstone and lee you know just with the personnel that they've got the, the the teams are too good and the I think the squad depth runs so deep that it'd be. I think we'd be daft to think that it wouldn't be them two coming to the end of the season. But um, you know that second place is is in reach now for for several teams. You're looking at York, you're looking at Halifax, you're even looking at the cells that are that are within reach of that that second place. Um, you know, so depending on our our results go, Featherstone in the driving seat. They've just got to keep winning their games, and nobody can overtake them. Um, but we've got that little bit of hope now, and, and certainly with us, we know that we've taken three points off what I think is the second best team in the, in the division. Um, and, and all we need to do for us to, to, to maintain the position where we are is keep beating the teams that are around us or keep beating the teams that are below us. And if we keep doing that, then we certainly can't drop no lower than fourth.
3: Critics of Featherstone, of, of which I've, I've been surprised how many there are this season. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people wanting to see them fail. We'll, we'll we'll say that they're unravelling. They'll look at the last month and see the defeat to you, the two defeats to Lee, and and think that this Rovers side is unravelling. What, what would you say?
2: I think that's a bit a bit premature. To be fair, I think it's very very difficult for any team, regardless of who you are, even even a Saint Helens in Super League. It's very very difficult for any team to go all the way through the season, playing consistently well every single game. And there's too many good teams around that. If you have an off day, then you're going to get turned over. You're going to get beat. Um, you know, Lee have not had that that patch yet. Whether it comes or not, I don't know. Um, I think the the way that the the ground's been and the weather's been over the last, last sort of four to six weeks. It's suited the players and suited the style that Lee have got. I think Kev Brown came up with a real good a good point in one of the night games where um, he said that let's not forget that the the grand final is in, in, uh, in the end of September, early October, you know, so the... The the landscape there, the weather could be completely different. It could be, uh, it could be a boggy ground. It could be wet. It could be windy, uh, and that might not suit the style of play that Lee Lee have got uh, with with the the players that they've got. Um, It could suit. It could suit Featherstone tomorrow. Who who knows? Who knows? And I think it's it's how these teams sort of develop and and play from now up until the end of the season. Because again, when when it it all boils down to, you play for one game at the end of the the season, and anything can happen in 80 minutes. So a team can go through all the season undefeated, and it comes down to the last game, which is the final, which is the main one, and they could lose that one and not go, not go to Super League. So and anything can happen for me.
3: That's, that's the bizarre thing, really, and you know, without wanting to play down what you guys put into it over the season, when it boils down to it, you are playing, Lee and Featherson are playing for that one match, and ultimately, that's why Brian McDermott was brought in. He was brought in to win one match because they are the one matches that he won when he was at Leeds.
2: Yeah, and he's got a track record of doing that, hasn't he? He's got a track record of winning winning grand finals, not from top. You know. So, you, regardless of what you think about the structure and what you think about who should go up and who shouldn't go up, you've got to win one game at the end of the season. And that's all that matters. You know, you've got 27 league games before that, but as long as you're in the, in the playoff positions come the end of the season, then you've got the opportunity to get promoted into Super League. And that's ultimately all that matters.
3: Uh, we'll discuss the structure in a sec. Just, just one more, as, as if you like. Uh, the head coach, kind of in that, in that one of the lead teams in that chasing pack. When you look at what Lee and Featherson have done and the signings they have made, when Ferguson, Ipape, Asiata are coming in at Lee, and then over in West Yorkshire, Ford, Carella, Sam Essay, all the others they're bringing in, and also the players they're allowing to leave who, who are red, red hot players. What are you thinking as a coach on such a tight budget? And with such a small squad, and you've already said <laughs> such a small bunch of very loyal vocal support.
2: Yeah, yeah. What? what you th-
3: I mean, I can see you laughing. What? What are
2: you thinking when all this is going on? It's scary. It's, it's just it's, it's a completely completely different world. It's a completely different environment. You know, I talk about our recruitment that we've only got a, a certain sized fishing rod and we've only got a certain size pond that we can fish in. You know, and you look at the, the you look at the ponds or the oceans that Featherstone and Lee can fish in compared to us, and it's it's scary. It really is, but. Um, it's not all about money, it's not all about it. it certainly helps. It helps else if you can pick from a different player pool or you can fish from a different pond. But it's all about recruiting the right people. And, and and I think at the minute Lee Lee seem to have got that right. They seem to have got the combination of people right. Um I still I'm still of the opinion that, that we shouldn't be allowed in championship to have so many overseas players compared to what Super League can have. I think we should have the same structure all the way across the board because I think it's pointless. I think it's pointless recruiting 12, 13 overseas players to then get promoted to Super League and you've got to start again. Uh, you know, you've got to release half a dozen of them. It seems pointless for me to do that. So I think the, the structure of the game all the way from the top to the bottom should be the same. It's the same with the distribution of money. Super League clubs all get the same distribution money. League One clubs all get the same distribution money. Yet in Championship, we're awarded on where we finish. So why are we playing to a different, a different structure and different rules in the same competition in the same league in Why do we like that?
3: Because I, I, no I, I just don't think yeah. it makes any sense. You're effectively buying buying yourself a Super League place and then going into a competition with it, effectively an illegal squad because you can't yeah. use that in that competition. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah,
2: yeah. And, 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 and I've heard it said that, you know, Lee, Lee could Lee could move into Super League now and they'd, end up, they'd probably they'd probably avoid relegation, and probably a mid-table, mid-table team. Well, no, they wouldn't because half a dozen of them players wouldn't be there. Same but with Tarrouk,
3: actually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's difficult. It's difficult, and I know, I know, I know why they do it because they've got to get out of the league to get into Super League, and the and the best way that they can do that is to get the best players and spend the money on what you think are the best players to get you there. But ultimately, when you get there, if you've got to rip all that up and start again. Then, because of the lateness of you knowing, it's the last game of the season. You can't plan on bringing people in based on on the facts that you're going to be in Super League because you might not be. And then come the end of the season, you, and you start your your recruitment being in Super League. Some of the players that you might want to sign have already secured their future with other clubs that are already in Super League. You know, so you might be left with players that you don't necessarily want, other than the players that can necessarily keep you in Super League. Um, you know, so it's it, it, it's it's difficult. It is it's a difficult situation. I say I understand why clubs do it because they want to get out of Championship and into Super League, and you're better being in there, I suppose, and then planning for that fo- that following season and missing out and being in, being in the Championship again for another year.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's absolutely bonkers. I think it's actually quite a dangerous. Certainly Mm -hmm. when we wanna preserve the health of our great game and it's almost encouraging teams to teeter on the edge of that, isn't it? it.
2: And in in terms of the in terms of the finances that that that, that people are spending as well, obviously we we've not got the money that other clubs have. So it's it's, it boils down to me getting your recruitment's gotta be hundred percent right and you've got to you've got to get the right people in and um, for me, I've always said it's person over player because if you bring, you can bring a cracking player in who, who can who can win your games, but if they're not the right person for the club or the club's not not the right place for that individual, it makes no difference how good they are because they're not going to enjoy it and they've got to fit in with the group that you've already got and you've got to merge the individuals into into a team. You know, I think I think sometimes clubs recruit sides rather than recruit teams and you've got to, you've got to recruit a team, you've got to recruit something that players are going to enjoy coming to training. The are training three times a week, some are training four times a week, and they're playing on a weekend. So you're spending a lot of time with these individuals, with with these people. So you've got to mould that group into a group that wants to be together, that want to spend time together, that enjoy each other's company, that want to go out on a field, and when the back's against the wall, they'll come out swinging for each other. And that doesn't always happen, and you've got to recruit the right people to do that. And One thing that I always do, and which I'm insistent on, is that every single person that I'm potentially going to recruit I'll sit down and meet, I'll look them in the eyes, I'll let them look me in the eyes. And I say to each individual that you get a real good impression from somebody when you sit across a table from It's easy now to do it via text and do it via email and do it through agents and recruit a player who you've not even spoke to until you see him on pre-season. But if you sit in front of a player and you think, I can't work with this guy, there's something there that's not not quite right, there's no point in going any further. And that's exactly the same for for players with me. If they, if they sit in front of me and think, I don't like this bloke, he's a crank. Then they know straight away that they don't want to work for me. There's no point waiting until the first, get, first, first day of pre-season for him to th- sit there and look at me and think, "Is an, an absolute tool is this bloke?" You know, so get it out of the way straight away. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, I, I think, regardless of what money you've got to spend and what, what budget you've got, I think it's a real important thing is is get your recruitment right. You can't always bring a great player into a, an environment and it's going to work. You, you've got to, you, you've got to make sure you do do your research and do your homework.
3: Yeah, one of one of our first guests earlier on this season was was Chris Thorman, the uh, the Workington Town head coach, mm-hmm. and he was talking me through the the no dickheads policy thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. I, it's, been, yeah. it's been it's been quite an education actually over the season for me. Um, we've we've kind of alluded to structuring and possible restructuring. We, we don't know what what's going to happen with IMG's involvement mm-hmm. over the next twelve years, which seems crazy to say twelve years, but yeah, um, we could be looking at anything. There's I know Liam Featherstone have have hinted they would be in favour of an immediate Super League of 14 teams, which isn't surprising given they would go straight into it. The other yeah. side of it is potentially we could be streamlining and going to 210s. We're guessing at this point. I don't know what your reading is, but is there any of that that might, might worry you and where it would leave the Batley Bulldogs if, if either of those things might happen?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it's very worrying. Uh, I think, well, first and foremost, I think regardless of what, what format is going to take place, Clubs need to know as soon as possible. We went into the, into the, into the recruitment uh, part of this season. So, you know, you're looking at sort of eight, nine months ago now with the, the recruitment for this season. We didn't even know two weeks before the season was starting, really, what, what the format of the league was going to take. We didn't know. And some clubs probably overspent because they were worried about the two tens coming in and having to be in the top six of the championship in order to get any sort of distribution one of the year after. say they potentially overspent because the clubs weren't informed. You know, so I think whatever happens, whatever the structure is going to be in place, the clubs need to know as soon as possible. You know, clubs are now doing their recruitment for next season. They're doing the retention and the recruitment for next season, next season, and the clubs are trying to work out a budget, not knowing what what format the league is going to take, which is crazy. It's no other no other sport operates like this. (laughs) No, it's, it's it's ridiculous. So how how can we as a as a club? Bearing in mind, we don't want to get ourselves into financial trouble. We've got to run a viable business based on the means that we've got and the finances that we've got coming in and the outgoings that we've got when we we pay the players. We don't want to put this club into into any serious financial danger. But we don't know what the structure is going to be. We don't know what the implications are going to be at the end of next season based on where we finish in the league. So again, some clubs are now recruiting players and retaining players based on the scary fact that if they're suddenly deciding... A month's time, or six weeks' time, or however long it might be, that next season, if you're if you're not in the top six in championship, you're effectively a community club. You're not going to get any funding from anybody, you know. So clubs now are, are, are pushing the boat out to get players, which is then pushing the the price up for certain players, which makes it more difficult for the clubs that haven't got the money to retain the players that they've got and also recruit players in. So whatever 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 format and whatever structure is going to be in place next season, we need to know now so play so so clubs can get the finance finances in order and not overspend and not overcommit and not potentially not pay players halfway through the season when they've overcommitted and overspent based on the fact that we've not had any information from anybody um my my personal opinion about the structure of the, of the game is I think when it, i will go to two two divisions of 14 um i think featherston and lee have, have proven over a long period of time now that They've got the finances and the resources and the wherewithal to go up into Super League. Whether they survive it or not, I don't know. But I think for for any other club out, outside of them too, I don't think at the minute that any of them could realistically go into Super League and survive um, without coming down the following year. And for me, I'd put some i put some plans in plans in place and just say right, we're going to move it to 14 or 14. There's going to be no no relegation or promotion for two, for two years, which then means that the, that the clubs that are going into into Super League. In that third year, they've had long enough to prepare. Likewise, any championship club that wants to come into Super League, they've had long enough to get their house in order that when they come up and get promoted, they're going to be a viable proposition, a viable option to stay in Super League rather than being a yo-yo team and coming up and going straight back down again. So I think that two-year period for me will give clubs in Super League and clubs outside Super League a lot of chance and a lot of time to put the finances in place, to put their their squads in place or the squad building in place and whatever thing, other things they need to do off the field. So if they did have that tilt of promotion from Championship to Super League, they'd have a real good chance of surviving in there without being a yo-yo club going up, going up and coming straight back down again.
3: Uh, I'm going to ask you a question that I've actually asked myself a lot over, over the years, certainly over the last few years. Uh, you're clearly an intelligent, articulate, very passionate guy mm-hmm. in the way you've outlined all the frustrations that you have on a day-to-day basis why are you involved in rugby league
2: <laughs> I have no involved. idea uh, yeah uh, I have no idea um I think it's, it's it's probably just just because it's the only way that I could make friends because there's a lot of people around me and they've got to see me every day uh, I, I don't know it's it's something that I've always I've always been involved in you know' uh, I was born in Charleston and that's it's basically what it is in Charleston you grow up and it's rugby league um and you go you go to main road and you either turn left and go to Featherstone or you turn right and you go to Wakefield and that's all you support. Uh, my grandma were a Featherston fan, so I turned I were a Featherston family fan, my dad were a Featherstone fan, my dad were on the board down there. You know, so all my fe- all my family have been Featherstone. Uh, all the way through me through my life. I've played it, it's it's basically all I've known. You know, it's it's, it's the only thing I've known is, is rugby league, it's been the only constant in my life. Um and it's it's, it's it, it just becomes you, it just becomes part of you. Um played it all my life, gone into coaching, and it, I think it's something I'll be involved in. One way or another, whether it's as a as a volunteer after I finish coaching, or just as, a, as a, supporter, a supporter, it's something that'll be there as part of my my life all the way until I die.
3: Uh, I said at the start that you you know you're a highly rated coach, which which you are. I, I mean, I look at you and what what you've done, and I think you're up there with the best of them. And I've read a couple of interviews you've done recently, trying to explain why you, with all due respect to Batley, you're at Batley and not coaching mm. at a higher level and in and in Super League. Why is that? Is it Craig Lingard just not a fashionable appointment. What is it?
2: Well, I've, I've, I've had that, that discussion with a, with a few people. I think it's, I think some clubs and maybe think it, uh, uh, it's easier to to recruit somebody from Australia or, or or a big name rather than rather than go and get somebody from Batley who's never been in a full time environment. I never played Super League and I've played full time. I've never coached in in a full time environment. So it's I suppose it's an easy option for uh, for clubs not to recruit me. Um, it, it is what it is. I'm not. I'm not particularly bothered one way or the other. I want to coach at the highest level that I possibly can. Um, if that's if that's championship, then I'm pretty happy with, with what I'm doing at this moment in time. And if, if this is my last job, it's my last job, and I'll I'll just move on to something else. But you know, my my ambitions as a as a, as a coach is is to be better be a better coach and I was I was player I think or an ordinary player and I didn't play didn't play super league and never got that opportunity I never I were never good enough like said to, to play, uh, to play full-time super league um, but hopefully as a coach I can I can develop and get better um and, and if I get that opportunity then I'll, I'll have a look and see what's there but I'm certainly in no rush to, to move on from where I am now
3: uh, what are your other passions I know as I have you've, you've been involved in, with rugby league cares and doing a few offload sessions Men, men's mental health are huge Passion of mine, which is you know why I feel fortunate to be involved in that side of it. You know what what what's drawn you to, to get involved in, in that kind of thing? Um, it's
2: it it's it's just it's just a, a different a different avenue what I've taken. You know, I've I've sort of worked in a lot of a lot of areas where, where mental health has been a bit of an issue. Well, I did 19 years in the prison service. You know, worked at, at Full Sutton at Leeds and at Wakefield for for nearly 19 years. know so you work in that sort of environment and you come across a lot of people that have gone through a lot of different stuff uh whether it's the individuals that are behind bars or it's the staff themselves that you're in that environment for you know for a lot a lot of time during your during your working day and your working year so you've got to cope with a lot of things while you're there um i worked in an alternative school provision for for three years after i left the prison service so again you're you're working with, with children and uh, and young adolescents have got a lot going on in their life and a lot of that's around the mental health you know so it's just a, a real good avenue that i'm, that I'm interested in and, and want to develop myself in that area and i'm i'm fortunate enough to be able to do um a bit of part-time work with, with Rubble league cares doing doing the head of the game program in, in the schools but also doing the the offload um delivering that to adults as well so it's it's something that i've enjoyed uh, i've been doing it. For the last sort of three, four months now, so um, I'm hoping that that can that can kick on a little bit more in, in the future. But it's certainly something that I'm, I'm definitely enjoying, and, um, and and you get a lot of benefit from as well. And I, I notice that once once I've done a delivery, I think it improves my mental health as well. And I take that into into my own life. I've got I've got a wife and four boys at home, you know. So that can be a bit of a fractious atmosphere as well when you walk, and you've got four kids at home when you when you walk. In. And sometimes when I've done one of the one of the deliveries, it just refreshes it. In, in your own mind about the way that you can deal with, deal with certain situations, and then when I walk in the door and all the four kids are, are, are arguing and the mrs asking me why haven't why haven't done this? Why haven't done that? I can just deal with it in a, in a completely different way, and it you know it's it's real good. These little pointers that you can give to people, and if it can help them improve their mental health, and that's 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 why we do it.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I've I've been doing it a few years now as someone who needed the kind of offload sessions myself when I was struggling and then to come through it and be able to use experiences and my presentation skills to be able to stand up and give a bit back. And I say, you know, I always say to the guys like, I'm doing this because I get something out of it as well. Like yeah, you, yeah. You're, kind of, you're offloading as part of the group, aren't you? Yeah, really you are. You are. And, you, and like you, share,
2: you share, you do, you share a lot and you've got to give, you've got to give some personal experiences to to hopefully get, get the group that you're delivering to for, for them to share as well. You know, so you don't realise that while you're sharing, the stuff that's happened to you, or the experience that you, that you have had, you're offloading to them, and it does help you. It, you. know, it's um, it's removing that that stigma from from mental health. You know, every, everybody's got mental health, and your mental health will fluctuate during the day, during the week, during the month, during the year, and it's fine. It's fine to have mental health issues, and and and. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Everybody suffers with, me- with good mental health and bad mental health. You know, it's, it fluctuates throughout throughout your life, and it's going to do that. And it's just making sure that you can you can cope and get through your day-to-day activities and and bounce back. Really, and and build that resilience to, um, you know, to to, to bouncing back from difficult situations that happen to you.
3: That's exactly it. It's having that it's, it's almost like having the power to be. To be vulnerable, I, you know. I recorded a podcast with a good friend of mine, Leon Price, who's who struggled as mm-hmm. I have. And, you know, we were talking about it last year, and he said he always kept it to himself because he didn't want to be seen as that guy looking for attention or pity. And I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. not it at all. It's like, if, yeah. you, if you, there's no point you suffering and experiencing the shit that you do yeah. if you don't if you're not able to share it because you don't know how much it might help someone else.
4: And that's no, it, exactly. You no, know,
3: yeah. he's, he's thinking of thinking of other people, what they can learn from what's the go what's the point of going through tough stuff if if, if you can't use it to help people i guess yeah definitely. Um, just for the last couple of minutes then you know, i like to you know we've already gone a bit deeper than rugby league and, and lessons that you've and, and we have learned from our life um mm. and vice versa lessons you know that we've taken from rugby league that serve us well in life and you know I guess we have on this talk a lot about you know camaraderie and uh, and togetherness and you know, rugby league is a sport. I asked you a few moments ago, why on earth are you involved in rugby league? But, you know, the other side of that, it, it gives us so much. And, and every person I talk to on this podcast has examples of things that rugby league has taught us that we can then go and it, it serves us well. It serves yeah. as well as people and, and in our lives. Is that something you've, mm-hmm. you, you know, you sign up to?
2: Yeah, without without a doubt. I think the, the biggest thing it's it's taught me is is, is perseverance and, um, and and resilience as well. You know, it's you know I think my my journey into the into semi professional sport or professional sport, whether you want to call it, has been a little bit different to, to some others. You know, when I when I first started playing, I were, I think from under 11s to under 15s, I were in the in the Yorkshire teams, in the county teams, as you know, so effectively one of the, one of the, the better players within the within the region. And then at 15, I just stopped growing, and everybody else shot up around me. And that was the, the particular time when everybody's getting signed up for academies, as it, as it were. Then, you know, so everybody else were getting signed up, and I, I just didn't grow. And I, I can remember, you know, um, I used to be I used to be quite fast when I were younger than everybody else. The, the grew. They got. You know, they were overtaking me in size and height, in speed and all that sort of stuff. You're, de- you're um, describing
3: the end of my football career as a kid, right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all my, all my, uh, a lot of my players who I, who I, sort of started playing rugby with then got signed on through uh, academies at different clubs. So I had to go and do it a, a slightly different way. I went, uh, well, I ended up training uh, six times a week, or training at Featherstone three times a week. Playing at Sheffield three times a week and I end up end up signing at Sheffield. Paul Daly got me out to go over to Sheffield. Uh, so a captain of the academy over at Sheffield and I play in the reserves of the the Alliance as it was at that particular point. It's that long ago, and I, I was there for a couple of years and left and I went back and played amateur at Charleston for six months, and then eventually came up to Batley on on trial under David Ward and uh, played a played about four or five games in the in the reserves team or again, the Lions team as it were. And then I got a first team contract and then I, I signed, signed on from there and stayed at Batley for, for the next 10 years, you know, so it were, it were a little bit of a, a different way to get, get into, into a, sort of semi-pro rugby league. And there were a lot, of, a lot of pitfalls along the way, but for everyone that I, that I encountered, it just sort of built my resolve and built, built my perseverance to, to go to the next hurdle and try and climb it, and if I got knocked back, I'd go and go, I'd, I'd go and, and do it again. I'm gonna do it again. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing it's taught me is, is the perseverance. And I guess that's where where I'm in, in my coaching career now. I started at started at Keithley, and we had the uh, the financial troubles there, and I ended up getting sacked from Keithley, which was a bit of a knock. And then I've come back and and come to Batley. and then we had the I think five games into me. My tenure at Battle, we had the COVID, which sort of knocked me back again, and then we've we've had the last sort of eighteen months where we've we've persevered and we've gone and we've finished fourth last year and we're fourth this year. So you know it's it's, it's just about building that resolve and building that resilience and, and the perseverance just to keep going. So I think that's the the biggest life lesson that I've got out of rugby league that not everything's going to go how you want it to do, and, and you can you can react and you you can respond based on on, on the things that happen to you. Um you can take your bat and ball home and sulk and and think, well, it, it would it should have been better, it could have been better. Uh, if it if only they got a bit of luck. But sometimes you make your own look and sometimes there's no luck out there. But the more often you put yourself in a particular place, that look might drop your way eventually.
3: Craig, it's been great chatting. I'll let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. But you've been a great guest, I knew you would be, and I appreciate your time Excellent.
2: coming on. No my pleasure coming on, mate, I've enjoyed it.
3: And that's Craig Lingard, the Batley Bulldogs head coach. This week's big interview. We'll be back with the Love Rugby League podcast next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Love Rugby League podcast. Know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league? Let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Eager for more rugby league news? Visit loverugbyleague.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.